Star Wars 7x7 episode 2392. As the doors open on the High Republic era of storytelling, we're learning a lot about the state of the galaxy a couple hundred years in advance of the events of The Phantom Menace, and we're going to start our deeper dives with a look at what the Republic looks like in those very heady days. Punch it. Hey Rebel Rouser, I'm Alan Voivod and this is Star Wars 7x7, your daily dose of Star Wars joy. And thank you so much for joining me for it. So, Light of the Jedi has been out for a couple of weeks now and there is a lot of information and storytelling to absorb. A lot of characters, a lot of situations, a lot of galactic drama. All set against the backdrop of the High Republic, but what exactly is the state of the galaxy within the High Republic. Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. And I'll start by framing it with an observation made by Porter Engel, who was one of the Jedi on the outpost at Elfronia. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly. He is the Jedi also known as the Blade of Bardada and is being identified as a favorite character so far by many people, I have to say, uh, me among them, I have to say I am really a fan of Porter Angle. But Porter Angle says this in regard to the galaxy and Chancellor So and the great works upon which she is embarking. He says, I remember when the galaxy was just pulling itself together a few centuries back. We couldn't think about anything but survival, really. We should use this time of prosperity to build something meaningful for the future. And again, for perspective, the High Republic era is supposed to take place in about a 200-year span, and we are about in year 50 of that span of time. So it's been going on for a while. And if you're going to talk about the galaxy being pulled together, you very likely have to talk about the Santeca family as part of that situation. The Santecas, you may be familiar with that name from Laura Santeca, who was played by Max von Sydow at the very beginning of The Force Awakens. So the Santeca family goes a long way back. And this is what Charles Soule says about them in the narrative for Light of the Jedi. He says the Santeca family made its fortune a century or so ago as hyperspace prospectors rough-edged people finding routes through the wild spaces of the galaxy. Later says, these days the Santecas were among the wealthiest families in the galaxy and their team of prospectors, now called hyper-surveyors to give the trade a sheen of respectability, continued to sniff out lucrative new paths between the stars. So hyperspace travel is a relatively new phenomenon as we arrive in the High Republic era, and thus it becomes all the more jarring when this incident happens with the legacy run as various pieces of it break apart and emerge from hyperspace in seemingly random locations throughout the galaxy, though apparently there is a mathematics that can be done to calculate it. But, you know, that gets later into the events of Light of the Jedi. For the purposes of our discussion, the fact that hyperspace is comparatively new and not well understood and not you know, widely trusted as a safe means of travel just yet, the reaction to the emergencies and to the disaster is to shut down hyperspace travel except for emergencies and, you know, specifically authorized uses by the Republic. As the emergences spread out over larger and larger swaths of the galaxy, that 
shutdown of hyperspace travel expands even further and becomes more of a challenge to the whole situation. That ends up creating additional problems for the economic well-being of many sectors of the galaxy. But prior to this great disaster happening, by and large, things are pretty peaceful in the Republic. In fact, there's a character, Admiral Cronara, who is reflecting on the state of the galaxy from the military perspective. Cronara is a ranking military commander in the Republic and talks about how you know their encounter with the Nile that happens in the final third of the book is probably the biggest thing that anybody has seen in decades. And he attributes that to Chancellor So being good at her job. But as part of this reflection, he considers that the huts have been quiet. So apparently the huts are a comparative problem, even hundreds of years prior to the events of the prequel and original trilogies. And then also says the Mandalorians hadn't kicked up any trouble since before he was born, before Admiral Cronara was born. And that's a fascinating little wink at the warrior-like history of the Mandalorians and perhaps even to events that were re-canonized when Rebels talked about, when Star Wars Rebels talked about the Jedi Mandalorian Wars way back when and stealing the Darksaber out of the Jedi Temple and all that good fun stuff, uh, Tarvizla's Darksaber. But the fact that Cronara is saying the Mandalorians hadn't kicked up any trouble since before he was born suggests, and we don't know how old Cronara is, but it does seem to suggest that the Mandalorians haven't caused any trouble since the beginning of the High Republic era, so before it actually. And so instead, from a military standpoint, there is no standing Republic fleet. As it's described in the novel, it's just um, odd cruisers like the Third Horizon, which is the ship that Admiral Cronara is commanding, and some smaller support and tactical ships. But what really happens from that broader perspective is that uh, sectors and planets, according to the novel, handle their own security, and on the rare occurrence of a more serious threat, there's a Republic defense coalition with treaties that can be activated, and prosperous worlds like Chandrila and Alderaan are called upon to supply ships and personnel under the command of that coalition. So instead of having to dedicate funding and political capital to a military apparatus, to a war machine, if you will, the Republican instead focus on infrastructure and cultural works of importance. And that's where this notion of Chancellor Lena So's great works comes in. One of the earliest ones is flagged. It's the Panacea. It's a giant medical aid ship. And it has been dispatched to various sectors to deal with all sorts of humanitarian crises. There are many others that are in the works, no pun intended, including the Starlight Beacon, which is that crazy space station at the heart of a lot of this storytelling and at the finale of Light of the Jedi as well. It's intended to be the first of a series of beacons, a beacon network, and considered by Chancellor So to be a linchpin. Like once this thing is up and running successfully, then it makes approving the next one and the next one even easier. Its primary function is as a communications relay station that will increase the 
speed and fidelity of transmissions tenfold across the outer rim and adding more beacons to this network will make it even better. But it's also a way to introduce the people in the outer rim to the cultural variety that exists throughout the galaxy. So they're gonna be changing exhibits and um, biospheres to showcase what life is like on different planets across the galaxy. But it does have a bit of force projection, if you will, not the force as in what the Jedi use, but force as in the strength of the Republic in the sense that they even consider it to be something that's crucial to the notion of negotiating a new treaty in between the Quarren and the Mon Calamari, which is rather exciting to hear those two species get mentioned and the fact that negotiating a treaty, it's mentioned in a couple occasions in the novel, is very important to the galaxy overall. Or at least it's certainly given a heightened level of importance, comparatively speaking. It's not just, you know, two species on one random planet. No, this is actually something that's very much on the mind of the Chancellor of the Republic. So, yeah, it's kind of a big deal. And I think there's probably going to be a lot more to learn about that situation. That itself is actually referred to as a great work, that treaty. So, very interesting. Also part of it, Bacta cultivation. So Bacta is absolutely brand spanking new at this particular time and considered to be a miracle medical situation. So they are trying to do what they can to make this you know, rapidly, more readily available because of its incredible medicinal properties. And that's considered a great work situation too. There's also mention of the Republic Fair, and we don't know much about this yet, but this is a very subtle nod to what's coming in the next part of phase one of the High Republic era, and that is the novel The Rising Storm by Kevin Scott and Race to Crash Point Tower by Daniel Jose Older. Maybe other stories will be playing in for that as well, but I know specifically they've talked about how those two novels have a lot to do with a World's Fair type event and bad things that happen around that. And a Republic Fair would be exactly that kind of thing. So they're already kind of giving a little blink ahead into the future by mentioning a Republic Fair in The Light of the Jedi. And at the dedication ceremony for the Starlight Beacon, there is mention of another great work, a newly proposed great work, which would be a memorial to all the lives lost as a result of the great disaster and the emergences that happened as a result. But the most beautiful aspect of the whole Great Works notion is the thing that's at the heart of what Lena So believes about the Republic. And narrative talks about this this way. It says, you know, you can't solve problems in the galaxy individually. It was ridiculous to even try. What you could do, however, was make the various peoples of this high era of the Galactic Republic see one another as people. And in the speech that Chancellor So delivers at the Starlight Beacon's dedication ceremony, she says, we are, every one of us, a great work. And so that expands on her idea of we are all the Republic, all pulling together for this one thing, but identifying each individual person as a great work, not just, you know, these big infrastructure projects, these big cultural projects, these memorial projects, but every individual is a great work is just an incredible sentiment and really forms the basis of the you know, ethical ideals of the High Republic. So what an incredible place to start from 
in this storytelling venture, then sure, not everything is perfect in the galaxy and it wasn't perfect in the galaxy even before the Nile started getting involved in everything. But to start from that kind of heightened place, the stakes are pretty high and the drop that is possible from there is pretty staggering. So yeah, oh, we've got some very interesting storytelling ahead of us as a result. But those are some highlights for what the status of the Republic is as we find it in the High Republic era. And that is where we're going to end this episode of the show. It just remains for me to say thank you so much for joining me for this episode, as always. And may the Force be with you, wherever in the world you may be. Star Wars 7x7 is not endorsed or sponsored yet by Lucasfilm Limited, Disney, or 20th Century Fox, and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names and pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited, but their respective trademark and copyright holders may the force be with them. All original content is copyright 2021 by Star Wars 7x7. We hope you love it.